Hey, it's Matt from the Direct-to-Video Connoisseur here. Thanks again for listening to the DTVC podcast. Before we jump in, I wanted to quickly let you know that my new novel, A Girl and a Gun, is available on Amazon now, both on Kindle and paperback. It follows Justin, a successful writer, whose past as a scriptwriter for a fetish porn site comes back to haunt him and threatens to derail his career. As he's picking up the pieces, he gets an opportunity to make a movie called A Girl and a Gun with a rom-com star. Justin may have bitten off more than he can chew, though, because she's notoriously difficult to work with. If you're interested, you can find the link on our webpage, along with the link to my first novel, Chad and Accounting. If you have any questions, please reach out, and I thank you for the support. Now, on to the podcast. podcast as always this is matt here and this week i am rolling solo um i that that sounded really bad i'm going solo i guess i, I sounded like some guy some bro hanging out in vegas I'm rolling solo this weekend man but um no um i didn't end up getting a guest uh for this episode um it was kind of a, a two-part issue um the first was that you know just, um, i was away from work when i came back i i didn't wasn't on top of reaching out to guests like I should have. And I didn't want to lose this space here because I, I feel like we've been building some momentum with the podcast by doing, um, you know, a, a podcast every, every two weeks, like we've been doing. Um, so that, that, that was one thing. But the other thing was that um, I recently moved the podcast from talk shoe to anchor FM. And that's kind of a big thing just because um, I think I'm maybe one of the last holdouts of our blogging community that still use it was still using TalkShoe. I'm hoping it's going to mean a lot of good things for the podcast. But the main issue is that I was afraid in putting this first podcast up that there might be some issues in putting it on, on you know, uploading the first one to Anchor. And so I think there was a concern of like, I don't want to say, if I had a guest on and maybe they were... Uh, promoting a, a book, a uh, movie, um, you know, their own podcast, their own site, and they're on and the podcast isn't uploaded properly for whatever reason, as I'm sort of working out the new system, at least it's only affecting me in that case. And so that was another reason why I was, I was kind of happy that maybe this is a good, good one to have as being a solo one. And going forward, of course, I do have a couple guests lined up for the next couple episodes, and I'm going to try to keep rolling with that. I mean, we're already into October, and at least I've been able to manage roughly every two weeks doing a podcast episode. Sometimes it's 15 days, sometimes it's 13 days, but pretty much every 14 days, every other Tuesday, we've been able to get a podcast episode up, which is something I've been happy about, that I've been able to do this starting in January of this year, so pretty much through the year. So I don't want to jinx it, run into a situation where I don't do that, but at least to this point, we, we've managed to make that happen. And that's something that I'm really happy about because in the past, I wasn't always good, right, about keeping material going, um, always, you know, getting episodes up, getting blog posts up. I mean, that's the other thing. I think 
I'll have to go back and check, but I think this year, for the most part, we've done a blog post every weekend. Um, try to do them on Saturdays, but I think we've been able to manage that as well. Um, and then, of course, the other piece is that the, the Tuesdays that I don't do podcasts, trying to find material for those. And so sometimes it'll be like a new letterbox list. It might be a, more of an indie type review where maybe somebody sends me a screener and I, I review the blog, you know, re review a movie there. That's what I've been using sometimes for that second uh, Tuesday of the month, or that, that second Tuesday that doesn't have a blog post. So that's the other thing, too, is trying to find content for these every other Tuesday ones where we don't have a podcast. And so I was thinking about maybe even doing solo podcasts for those as well. But, you know, when we ran into this situation where I didn't have a guest for this episode, moving the podcast to Anchor, I thought, yeah, why don't we just do it solo and, and, and put it up that way? So at least you still have content. Um, and you know, then we'll, we'll, we'll kick back with, uh, with co-hosts or, you know, with guests coming up from there. I mean, that's the other thing too, right? Is that the, the podcast doesn't have a co-host anymore. I mean, when I first started, I had Jamie as a co-host and it was, it was great. Uh, she was really great on the, on the podcast. And I think people really enjoyed our interactions. The problem was, was that as our lives were kind of moving on, um, it, it was harder and harder for us to coordinate times. And, and when I got back into doing the podcast, because I, you know, I, I went on hiatus in 2015, when I came back in, I was worried about, you know, either asking her or somebody else to be co-host on the podcast with me with the fear that I wouldn't be able to keep up with it. Um, and, and so I think this has been something to prove to myself, too, that I can put content out every other week. Um, I know, like, for example, the guys that come up and what's great, right, is that because the two of them uh, work in tandem, they can make sure they've got a podcast every first and 15th, um, which I think is really cool. And again, it builds momentum, right? Because you, as, as someone myself who consumes a lot of podcasts, it's great to know that if I'm subscribed to something that I'm going to get content uh, every couple weeks or every week or, you know, whatever it is. And who knows, maybe we get to that point where we can do every week. I don't know if we're, we're, we're going to be there yet, but, you know, kind of, you know, I don't want to get carried away. I think once a week is definitely good. So with that in mind, right, is this going to be, you know, this being a solo episode with me just talking, I kind of wanted to go off the uh, the paradigm that I, I created in June when I did the Atkins Fest podcast, where I had watched four Atkins movies and thought, why don't I just chat about those four Atkins movies and get into those? And I thought maybe a good su uh, subject for this would be Bruce Willis movies. Um, you may remember last year, late last year, I had Sean Malloy from I Must Break This Podcast on, and we talked about Precious Cargo and kind of talked about the the overall uh, Bruce Willis movie situation. And I think, you know, Sean used the expression, he's pissing on his legacy. And I think that's kind of an important thing, right, when it comes to uh, when it comes to Bruce Willis is that realizing how big of a star he is, right? I mean, when you go to IMDb and you type in BRU, Bruce Willis is the name that comes up. He, he was a unique star, or he, I, should, I shouldn't say was, right? I mean, he still is a unique star, but I think was when I think of in the past, right? You know, he did Moonlighting, right? So a show that was like kind of comedy, part romance, uh, some action as well. Really fun show that I remember. I think it was on Monday nights. Um, I love the theme song. But it was a show that I remember my, my mom watched, and so I would watch it with her as a kid and, and always thought it was really great. And he was a big reason why it was so great. I mean, he was very charismatic, but yet could be gruff and tough and, um, you know, the kind of action lead. And, and he kind of was able to branch out and do a lot of different parts from there, right? Like he was doing, you know, we remember him in, in Die Hard, of course, and doing the action roles, but then he could also do more fun, offbeat romantic comedies. He could do Blake Edwards movies. Uh, then, of course, you know, doing films with Quentin Tarantino, doing something like 12 Monkeys um, or, or The Sixth Sense. He really was able to do a lot of different things. And he was really, as a star, I mean, he was one of the biggest names out there. 
Um, we don't always think of that necessarily now, right? But at the time, I mean, you know, Bruce Willis was a topper, you know, someone who could headline a film and get something in the theater. And it was kind of like one of those things, like, what are the Bruce Willis movies that are coming out this year? At the same time, he would do a lot of these indie flicks as well that maybe you didn't know about that you'd go back in. I remember he did um, an adaptation of Billy Bathgate with uh, uh, Dustin Hoffman that I didn't even know about. I was reading Billy Bathgate and I was like, oh, look at this. There was a movie made off of this. So when he started getting into the DTV realm, and we started to see these films, especially these Emmett Furla productions. Um, it, there was a sense of like, what's going on here? Like, what is he doing? And it was almost a feeling of like, wow, he's just, he's making just these horrible movies when he made so many great films before. He's just trying to cash a paycheck or something. We then found out, of course, that he's suffering with aphasia and um, that, you know, that there was almost a sense of maybe if he could make as many movies as possible before he had to retire, right? That that was kind of the idea. And, and I, I think looking at it through that lens, you think, okay, so maybe I can view these movies in a different way. I think before I viewed them as this like assembly line kind of thing, this very like cynical, the way it was made, there's a very cynical vibe about them. Like they'll just put crap out there with Willis's picture on the cover, you know, and, and who cares how much he's in the film? People are going to stream it. They're going to rent it. They'll get it on Redbox. They'll buy it, whatever, just because Willis's name is on there. And I think even for me in the sort of the, blogging review uh, ecosystem there was almost a sense too of like willis's name brings people in so you know better to do a review of a willis film and get people on twitter and in facebook or whatever wanting to read and see what i thought of this movie then i don't know then somebody you know maybe like a gary daniels right who only kind of maybe the core hardcore action fans really know and i think that that was part of it with willis it was almost a siren song thing where you know we got to do as many of these willis films as we can so, you know, I, at a certain point, of course, you, you, you get to a point where you can't do these Willis movies because they're just, they were difficult. And, and there was, again, with that cynicism and that mindset, I didn't want to play into it at all. And then finding out that maybe that there was maybe a more benevolent reason for, for why he was doing these films. And again, we don't know how much that is, right? We don't know how much it was helping him out so that he could get as much money for him or how much it was, you know, the producers of Emmett and Furla trying to, get as many movies with him in them as that so they can get them out there and make money off of them. Right. It's, you know, is it, I think Sean Malloy used the expression, um, the, when he, cause he was looking at a, uh, one of the trailers where, where Bruce Willis looks like he was having trouble, uh, you know, like it's Ed Wood, you know, kind of propping up Bella Lugosi, right. Toward, towards the end there. And, and is that what we're seeing with those movies? And I don't know. And I, I, I kind of want to give them the benefit of the doubt and, and see it from the mindset of like, yeah, trying to get Bruce Willis in as much as he can before he can't make any more money. Um, that that could be a, an important thing. So looking at it from that lens, right, then you're kind of seeing it as like, okay, well, you know, what are the times when, the, you know, how do they mitigate the fact that they can't have as much Willis in the movie? Or how do they mitigate the fact that uh, he's not going to do his ADR or, uh, you know, those, those kinds of things? What, what are the, the, the constructs that they use in the movie to sort of get around those things? And they can be a little bit fascinating to, to view it from that lens. And so I, I went into this idea of doing a, a mini Bruce Willis Film Fest and talking about it here in the solo podcast with that idea that I was going to have fun with it and, 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 and see as how much we could do, how many, you know, how many of these little things that we could pick out or yeah, just, you know, maybe, you know, kind of watch it for the other uh, co-stars. Cause there's always like a lot of co-stars in these movies as well. So that was my mindset. And I had in mind that I was going to do four of these movies. Um, but when I got to the first one, um, the first of the four, uh, the first that I watched was Vendetta. I was like, boy, this is a bit of a slog. Um, the movie was, was definitely like the pacing felt off. Um, I'm, I'm 15 minutes in and I feel like I'm a half hour in. I'm a half hour in. I feel like I'm an hour in. And I've got still however much left to go. 
And I thought, okay, I don't know if I can do three of these. And then I did the next one was out of death. And then it really hit me like, boy, this is, no, this is tough. This is going to be tough to do. And so I cut myself down to three films. So the three, you know, are, are going to be Vendetta, um, Out of Death, and Hard Kill, um, which was on Netflix. So the other two are on Hulu, and then the last one was on Netflix. So those are the three that I watched that I'm going to talk about. And I thought maybe, you know, I was trying to figure out what order I would do them in. And I thought maybe when I do them descending order by amount of words in the title. So um, Out of Death being three words. I mean, I guess Vendetta has uh, three syllables, right? So it's the same amount of syllables as Out of Death. So um, as an aside, does anybody remember when um, Jim Carrey was trying to give Will Smith a hard time at the... Uh, Video music words—they were kind of like, you know, giving themselves, giving each other some good-natured ribbing. And uh, I think Jim Carrey said something along the lines of like, because um, I think Bruce Willis tried to kiss, or not Bruce Willis, um, Will Smith tried to kiss him. And uh, Jim Carrey's like, you know, one word, two syllables, breath ashore. And I was in a, a group of people who were laughing about that, and I was like, but isn't breath ashore two words and three syllables? And nobody found that part funny. So yeah, nobody likes a grammar hammer. So um, just an aside there. Um, but yeah, why don't we get stuck in in these films, and I'll, I'll chat about them here, and yeah, kind of kind of go from there. So the first one is Out of Death, and of course the title to me just was the first thing that, that, that made me really, really interested in this. The idea of, I guess I think they were supposed to mean out of in the sense of from, but I saw it as out of as in you're, you know, out of stock of something. And the idea of that, like, oh, you know, honey, I got to go to the store because we're all out of death, right? Or, um, oh, man, the store just can't keep death stocked, right? They're just out of death all the time. Um, and, and just that that concept. The other piece, of course, is the um, the Air Supply song, All Out of Love. I would kept getting that in my head, too. Like, I'm all out of death. I'm so lost without you. You know, like that. I kept getting that song in my head as a result. So a lot of goofy things happening here. Unfortunately, the movie doesn't really live up, live up to that so much. Um, so just to kind of give you a brief synopsis of it, um, you've got Jamie King um, in the lead role. She's um, a woman who um, is playing someone 10 years younger than herself, some, um, whose father passed away, and she needs to bring his ashes to a spot on a mountain. And he essentially dared her when he was living, saying, you're not going to make it up to that spot. So she's sort of taking the dare to go up there. So she's going up to that mountain. Um, at the same time, Bruce Willis is retired police officer, and he has a niece who lives near the mountain, has a nice house, like a cabin near the mountain. So he's staying there in the cabin, and he is going for a walk out in the woods. And then we have some corrupt sheriffs or com corrupt uh, sheriff's deputies, and one of them played by Lala Kent, who um, I found out subsequently is famous for being on Vanderpump Rules. Um, she plays a sheriff who is hooking up with this meth cooker or something along those lines and finds out he's been taping her um, in all of their interaction so she gets out of the bad uh, the, the pickup truck that they're in and she shoots him and well um jamie king catches them uh, catches her shooting him and films it so now the hunt is on right they need to catch him so there's another co-star that's working with jamie king another one of the um the deputies um so i can get his name here because uh he's in a lot of these emmett furla films and i probably should have had it already up and ready to go Tyler John Olson is his name. And so I, I've seen him in a lot of these movies. He just sort of makes the rounds. And so he's playing this deputy who's there, like, trying to clean up the mess that Lala Kent created. Um, he, he looks different in a lot of the movies. In this one, he looks like a cross between, I don't know, Don Swayze and Splinter, maybe. Um, it's really interesting. And uh, so they're, you know, sort of out there. And they, they, they find Jamie, Jamie King. And they're kind of going to execute her, right? They're... 
there, uh, bring her somewhere to kill her. When Bruce Willis happens upon her um, and he uh, holds the two sheriffs at gunpoint, she, uh, Jamie King, escapes. Um, and then Bruce Willis and her escape together and they kind of rendezvous. It's, it's, it's sort of the whole cat and mouse thing, right? They, they catch them, they don't catch them. And with, with Bruce Willis's character, because he can't be in the film for that long, right? It can't be a situation where Jamie King and Bruce Willis are both trying to escape. He needs to separate from her and go do his own thing so he can be out of the picture for a while. The interesting thing, though, is that Jamie King also was out of the picture for a while. And a lot of the movie is really Lala Kent and uh, Tyler John Olsen doing things, which is weird, right? Like, I think any movie that spends too much time on the baddies is not going to be a good movie. Um, again, the pacing was all off on this one. This was another one where it was like the first like 15 minutes, a bunch of stuff happens. And then we go 20, 30 minutes with like it kind of just slows down and they take they start padding the films out a lot. Um, I got a sense, too, that this wanted to go in a Coen Brothers route um, it, that each each there was like four sections of the film that each had uh, chapter titles. So it was like, you know, four chapters. Um, they'd play like banjo music here or there, kind of offbeat, like sort of southern type of stuff to really give you this down home feel that it's sort of like some down home like chicanery that's that's going on here. Um, and and so between the music and the chapters and, and the fact, again, that we lose Willis for huge chunks of time, but also lose Jamie King for a huge chunk of time, it's it's kind of like hard to sort of stay engaged. It was a hard one for me to stay engaged with. Again, I was looking for a lot of the fun and it's hard because it's like even the things that I thought I was going to have fun with, like, you know, when... Jamie King is standing there with uh, with Bruce Willis and then they separate. And I thought, okay, well, this is fun, right? Because this is the plot point that they're using, or this is what they're, the device they're using to get Bruce Willis out of the way. Because it made no sense that the two of them separated, right? They, they had no reason to separate. Um, or, I mean, they, they, the reason that they gave wasn't a good one. It was something like Bruce Willis was going to get something back at his at the, the bungalow and he wanted her to go find the camera that had the information on it. And they just sort of meet and come, you know, they leave and come back. But it, what I realized is that that kind of thing only works so much because Bruce Willis spends so, so much time out of the film that when he disappears, right, it's like, okay, well, he's there. And then it's like, okay, what are they going to use to get him out of the scene from there? So um, you don't really get many instances of them doing that. And I didn't really consider that part of it, that he's just going to, when he goes, right, he's gone for 20 or 30 minutes. So you only get like three or four moments of how they get him in and out of the film um, and use plot devices so he's not having to film that much um so there was that one piece of it there um i i think um i don't know i think the other thing with bruce willis is i could tell that he he was struggling a little bit in some of the scenes and that was a little bit kind of hard to watch i think um you know he i think he was doing the best that he could but i think there, there were some of those issues there and i think as good a job as, as, as the production company and, and everybody making the film did to try to mask some of those things, you could see it when, when it was happening. Um, and I think that part of it, to me, made me feel more sympathetic. Um, and all of the issues that I had with the film, you know, seeing Willis you know, kind of doing his best with it to try to put this, this role together, you know, that, that part, I, I felt more sympathy for him, which again, it's not a fun thing, right? It's not a fun, happy thing that I'm, I'm experiencing when I'm doing that. I'm more kind of just feeling bad. Um, so, so there's that, that part of it as well. And then I think, you know, again, I think the thing that hits me about all of these movies is, again, I'll go back to the pacing, but there's a lot of padding in the movies as well. And this one in particular really had it because 
it seemed like Jamie King wasn't in the film that as much either. And she was kind of the co-star usually with these movies, right? It's Bruce Willis and then like a younger male lead who's doing the heavy lifting. So you think of Precious Cargo, right? You've got Mark Paul Gosseler. Um, you think one that we'll be talking about later, Hard Kill, right? It's uh, uh, Jesse Metcalf. Um, you know, just trying to think of all the different names that, that come up, um, you know, these, I think um, with Cole Hauser, right? And, and um, what was that? Active vent violence? Is that what it was called? Something like that. Um, yeah, I mean, even just thinking about like Vice, right? Where you had uh, Thomas Jane was, was even though he's not that much younger, you know, he, again, doing more of the heavy lifting. So this didn't really have that part. I guess Jamie King was supposed to be that part, but even she wasn't in it enough to be like the the Mark Paul Gossler part. Um, I do like the idea of that, though, in theory, that you could have, because I think um, a movie that did that really well was was Altitude with uh, Dolph Lundgren and Denise Richards, um, where Denise Richards is the, um, the, the she's kind of the, the more of the action lead. And Dolph is taking a little bit more of a, a step back and, and letting her do that. Another one, I guess, would be acceleration, right? With Natalie Byrne, kind of the same idea. So it's not that you couldn't do it with a, um, a female lead. I think just you know, Jamie King might not have been the right one. For whatever reason, she wasn't in the film as much either. So, so that was another part of it that didn't work for me. Um, and again, it's, it's the movies are a slog. I mean, we think of like the Philippine action film, right? With the jungle slog. I mean, this was like out in the woods slog. Uh, and again, you know, they just, sort of just walking in the woods a lot, talking about things a lot. Every once in a while, somebody gets stabbed, somebody gets shot. They got to patch up the wound, you know, use a belt to tie off the tourniquet or whatever and get back in there. And then same thing, you know, walk around, talk in the woods, have conversations, and then somebody gets stabbed. And you can only kind of see that thing happen so much. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think another thing that I say a lot in my blog post, maybe I'll finish up with this piece before we move on to the next film, Something I say a lot in my blog posts lately is that a lot of movies have about as, a, enough material for one episode of a syndicated uh, action show. And this one really was that. I, I would say for the hour and a half, and, and I don't know what the runtime was, it was a little bit over 90 minutes, I believe. Um, it was, uh, let's see here if it says, yeah, uh, 90, 96 minutes. So for a 96 minute film, um, you know, I think 42, 43 minutes worth would have gotten you there. And I think all of these Bruce Willis films, really, I mean, you could have made like a Bruce Willis syndicated TV show with all of his movies that are in there and just cut them all down to 43 minute episodes. And it would have been a really cool series. And this one really, I think maybe more than any of them really, really drives that home that it really could have been cool. Like if Bruce Willis was playing a police officer um, who is in all of these movies as a police officer and he just shows up and you know, whatever happens for 43 minutes like this, I would have actually liked this episode. I, I would have liked it as an episode with the characters they had in it and the way they did it, but to stretch it out to 96 minutes, that's when it starts to get, get difficult to manage. And I think that that's what happened here. All right. So next up is hard kill. So we're going from three words in the title down to two. Um, and this one was on Netflix. Um, it's been on Netflix for a while, I think. And it's one that I've always kind of saw. I mean, I've only, it's only been on there for a couple of years. It feels like it's been there longer. But um, it's one that I've, I've, I've seen and I thought, okay, this, this could be an interesting one. Um, but by the same token, I've just never had the energy to do it. So this one, um, again, it's on Netflix. Um, I think compared to the other ones, it, it has more uh, of the, uh, the the critic reviews. And I think that's another piece there, right, that um, that 
if you look at Out of Death has 27 critic reviews, Vendetta has 13, Hard Kill has 47 critic reviews. And I think 2020 was still a period where it, it hadn't hit the breaking point yet with the Bruce Willis movies, that people were still like, I got to get in there and I got to review these. And more and more people were still reviewing them. And I mean, I think at that time too, you remember we had um, uh, uh, Todd Gaines from Bulletproof, who was almost like, it's almost like the chronicler of the, the Bruce Willis film. And he was like doing the yeoman's work of, of reviewing all of them for, for Bulletproof action. And I think in 2020, there was still enough of a, of a, of a push to want to keep doing these. Then, you know, 2021, 20, and, and, and more recently, people had kind of just, it, it hit the tipping point. People had had enough of them. So this is an interesting one thinking about that because, it, it, again, it's a year. This one came out in 2020, whereas um, the other one that we did um, that I just talked about, Out of Death, came out in 2021. So we're still in that mode of like, okay, oh, it's a Bruce Willis movie. We got to check it out. We, we've got to see it. Um, you got to see what happens in it. Um, with this one, right, we've got Jesse Metcalf, who plays the the guy doing the heavy lifting. So this one actually follows the, the paradigm a little bit closer, where Willis is in it as this main character. In this case, he's a usually it's a rich businessman or it's a rich um, crime lord or something like that, or it's a police officer. Um, but yeah, he in this case, he's he's a rich businessman. And um, his daughter, uh, played by Lala Ken, so she's back in this one, or she, I guess she was back in the other one, right? Because um, that one came, came after. Um, but she plays the daughter, and she has access to this really like fancy computer program that essentially can shut off all electronics in the world. And she gives it to this terrorist known as the Pardoner. And so once that's happened, Bruce Willis's friend, who was friends with Jesse Metcalf and in Iraq, um, tricks Jesse Metcalf and his group of like I guess mercenaries that he he works with to take on this case to sort of get this this you know to sort of protect um, Bruce Willis. And the idea is they go to an abandoned building somewhere. Bruce Willis's bait, which draws um, the Pardoner. And Lala Kent out um, because the partner needs Bruce Willis. Is he need he needs his access code to be able to use the program? So that that that's the issue. Um, and then of course you get kind of the siege in the building, the cat and mouse thing again, right? Which we had in in Out of Death, and and you know sort of you know people uh, double cross each other. Things aren't always what they seem, but then they are what they seem. Oh, maybe the partner has the the program and he's going to be able to destroy things oh nope he doesn't and it's all over and and everybody wins and they live happily ever after now again this is another one with a lot of padding i mean i think right away jesse metcalf gets into a limo with bruce willis and the other character's name i think his name was texas battle um let me see it was texas something texas battle yeah so texas battle is the old iraq friend so they're in a, in a limo trying to sell uh jesse metcalf on him and his team doing this whatever this 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 job and i mean it felt like they were talking in that limo for 20 minutes uh it was just a long slog of a scene but also i i want to say it was almost a half hour before we had any action um which is different right from at least in 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 out of death we did get some action sooner than that in the film and i think that that brings up another big point for me where it's like why can't these films just follow the pm paradigm right of, of an action sequence every you know, 10 to 15 minutes. And I guess it's because action sequences cost money, right? And so you, you, you can't have action all the time because it costs a lot of money. So it's a lot cheaper just to have Jesse Metcalf, uh, Texas Battle, and Bruce Willis in a, in a limo just talking for 20 minutes than it is to have 
uh, a car flipped over or something like that. But what that means is it can be a slog for us. And this definitely was. I mean, if the previous one we talked about out of death was a, a, a you know wooded area mountain slog, this was an abandoned building slog, right? This was the old warehouse slog. And again, I think the problem with a movie like this is that to, to, to only have one location, to have everything set in one location, to get 93 minutes out of it is difficult, right? It, it, you really need to, to, you know, I think this is, again, it's the 43-minute movie rule, or 43-minute episode of a, uh, a syndicated TV show rule. And, and this one, definitely, the, the padding, you could feel it. Um, the plot twists that they just sort of inserted it, inserted in here and there to just sort of keep things, you know, plugging along um, instead of just wrapping things up when they when they could have sooner. It, it this was this was definitely that it was harder. Um, you know, once the movie gets in, gets stuck in, there is action, and that's a little bit better. But again, the action is kind of just like you know, the the baddies are all these guys with like you know uh, ski helmets and and masks on shooting you know assault rifles and so it's just like a lot of people just all lined up behind like pillars and and you know various you know debris and just firing weapons and yelling at each other and you know hey you get you know like you get my sick cover me i'm gonna you know and it's it's like that kind of thing works but it's it, you can't do it too much right because we've seen it so many times and also a lot of times it, it, it doesn't seem to get anywhere, right? It, it's like just people shooting at each other and you're like, okay, when is somebody going to hit somebody? And then, and then eventually like one of the, the, the heroes, you know, stands up completely uncovered with their, their pistol out and they start taking people out and you're like, oh, okay. All right. So you, you could have done that like 20 minutes ago, but you, you, you decided to wait. Um, I think talking about Jesse Metcalf as the guy doing the heavy lifting. I mean, we're talking about someone who, I mean, from a, from a, a star standpoint, I think, there's been a shift after Born Identity to get more guys like this into action roles. I think Ryan Phillippe is a really great example. I think the difference between Ryan Phillippe and Jesse Metcalf is Ryan Phillippe has more range as an actor. And I think that's one of the biggest problems with these movies. And I'm going to get into it in the next one here with Vendetta as well, is that we, we often get these one note heroes as the ones who are doing the heavy lifting. And that was a really big problem, I think, with this one, um, was that Jesse Metcalf, really all he's doing is just like, you know, grimacing, scowling through his beard, um, but he doesn't really have any personality to speak of. They're, they're, they don't give his character much. Um, and you see that a lot in these Bruce Willis ones, that whoever it is that's doing the heavy lifting, their character doesn't have a lot of personality. I mean, Mark Paul Gossler, he, he brought a little bit more personality. He was kind of like the roguish uh, thief kind of guy. So there was a little bit more to work with there. But even there, it's like he gets to this point where he's angry and just grimacing and, and scowling all the time through his beard. Again, they, they all have to be bearded, and they, they, they all scowl and grimace a lot. And Jesse Metcalf does that a lot here. But there's also that sense of like, man, you were kind of like, you know, a, kind of a nice looking, like, you know, what, you know, teen romantic, uh, you know, you know, romantic movie lead kind of person. Um, I think. He's on a nighttime soap now. I think that's one of the other things he does. And so it's hard to try to sell these guys as action leads because it's almost like they have to contrive the whole hard man thing with them. And in here, it definitely felt contrived. Uh, and I, I think, you know, if they'd given his character more personality, maybe it would have worked. Maybe we would have enjoyed him. And I think that's the thing with Ryan Phillippe where he's doing these parts is that sometimes he's, he's allowed to inject more personality into the role and, and we can buy it more. Um, I think 
if they're going to use, and it looks like Jesse Metcalf is getting used in a lot of these kinds of movies now. Um, I think if they're going to do it more, I think, you know, yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm, I'm not saying necessarily have to lose the beard, but the beard just seems to be like a common thing, right? They're just all with these beard bearded guys who just, you know, just look angry all the time and just like tired and worn out and everything. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, just, you know, give me a nice Dolph Lundgren, you know, like making cracking jokes and, and beating guys up and you know having nice fun one-liners and all of that. I think I, I, I dig that more and it makes the movie more compelling, right? That, you know, I'm more willing to kind of sit there because especially if it's like this, where you're going to dump Bruce Willis for huge chunks of the film, we need somebody to carry us through. Um, you know, another piece that this thing does is I think the villain, the partner character, in some ways he's better, right? Because he has a little bit more personality than the rest of them. But but even he kind of just, I don't know, he's like quoting Canterbury Tales and, and you know, it's it, like talking about how, you know, he, he I think the, the, the film didn't really have the range to get into the political stuff that his character was supposed to be into. So that was kind of left like half, you know, managed. So you even even there, you didn't even have like a Destro effect to lean on, right? Because as a baddie, he wasn't, he wasn't even that cool. Um, he was cool, but not that cool, right? As Vin Diesel said in Triple uh, in X. Um, so even that kind of doesn't work. So again, you're left with this kind of slog where you've got, you know, huge chunks of padding. You've got people just, you know, patching up wounds again. Same thing as the other one. It's just like, oh, I've been hit. Oh, I got to, you know, put a belt around my shoulder or, you know, somebody's got to pull the bullet out or whatever. Um, yeah, because you just more of that kind of thing too. Um, it, it's just, you know, it, it, again, this one, I think maybe as much as, as, as the, the pre, maybe more so than the previous one, it had more of that cynicism to it of just like, let's just throw all this stuff in here, put these names on the, on the, on the cover and we'll get the Netflix streams. And to, to, to their credit, I mean, you're talking about 47 critic reviews, I think over 500 user reviews. So, you know, on a way, on, on some level, maybe being cynical myself, you almost can't fault them, right. For, 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 pulling this off the way they did um, because it, it got the, the attention it got. But the question is, right, is that, you know, um, how many of us Charlie Browns are going to keep falling for Lucy pulling the, the football, right? And and I think that's where you start to see the diminishing returns is that, okay, we had the football pulled out from under us or pulled out, you know, um, on us when we tried to kick it in this film. So the next time when I see out of death, I'm not going to, you know, get get fooled again or the, you know, Vendetta or whatever the next movie is. Unless you're me, right, and you're going to put yourself through it for three in a row to um, to to do a blog post or to, to do a, a podcast episode like this, so um, yeah, so so that was kind of that. I'm trying to think if there was anything else in there that really stood out for me. Um, I think the Bruce Willis piece again too is you can also see maybe even the difference between the two years. Um, it's I, I I want to say that he's 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 kind of more with it in this one. Um, again, his character is in very few locations. I mean, there's one scene in particular that really stood out for me is that, so you've got the group, the, 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 the mercenary group, and they're in a bar and Jesse Metcalf is telling them, yeah, we're going to do this job. And some of them don't want to do it. Some of them do. And they're like, okay, well, we're all going to go and do it. So they're, then the, the next scene, they're walking into the, the warehouse area. And I noticed this tall, bald guy with like a kind of a, a thin coat on and, and scarf. And I'm like, who is he? And I thought I had heard, overheard in the previous scene that they were talking about another member of their team who wasn't there. And I was like, oh, this must be that other member of the team who's not there. But it wasn't until they get into the warehouse area that I realized that that was supposed to be Bruce Willis. So they were doubling him with someone who was taller and thinner. 
Uh, and I mean, it looked like somebody completely different. I mean, it almost looked like the um, the the bad guy. And um, I don't remember what Star Trek movie it was. It was the one where they had the the Romulans, and then I think there was the other the Remus, or they had the other um, the other planet, right? And, and something like that. It was, that's kind of what it looked like. Um, yeah, or um, yeah, I don't know. It, but it didn't look like Bruce Willis at all. It didn't even look close to Bruce Willis. Um, and it's interesting because they mitigated that, for example, in the the previous one, Out of Death, where there were scenes where like Bruce Willis's character was supposed to be rummaging around like like in, in the drawers and things like that to find things. And they were just doing it from the chest down. So you couldn't see that it wasn't him, right? It, it, you couldn't tell. This was probably like the, the most egregious example of it definitely not being Willis and them just pawning it off as Willis. The, the, I don't even know who this person was. And um, yeah, so that was one that really stood out for me. But beyond that, I mean, there were a lot of scenes where Willis was, seemed like he was a little bit more there, more present. Um, I mean, again, he it's like, the, the the construct is Jesse Metcalf is like, oh, we need to put you in this area here so you're safe. And so it's just like, yeah, he's just going to go stand in this area, this like section of the the warehouse with like nothing else to do, just stand there for huge chunks of the movie. Um, and then he gets caught by that partner character. So now he's sitting with his like his hands like kind of zip tied in front of him on, on a chair um, and just has lines every once in a while doing that. And then, you know, he helps like do the computer thing with Lala Kent. So, yeah. Not really a lot of locations there, and again, you know, using a, a double that doesn't really look like him. So um, usually, like I, get, like I said, that feels like it should be the fun of watching these movies. Uh, that you 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 pick out things like that. It's just they happen so seldom because Willis's character is on screen so seldom. So you don't even have many opportunities to see a double because they they've written his character out of it for so long. Um, it's something that I didn't even consider getting into this, but. It's definitely something that that was 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 the case there. All right, so let's get into the last one, Vendetta. Um, so this movie came out here in 2022. Um, There's something that was saying that this might be the last film, that, the movie that he shot. I don't know if that's the case or not. But the thing that really, really excited me about this movie was it's got Theo Rossi in it, and I am a huge Theo Rossi fan. Uh, I loved Theo Rossi in uh, the Luke Cage series. I think it's one of my favorite things done by the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, that there's a two part or two season series on Netflix. He played the character of Ernan or Shades. Um, he was fantastic in that role. Um, of course, you know he did Sons of Anarchy. He does a lot of indie flicks. Um, just a, a fan, just one of my favorite actors. I just love seeing him in stuff. And I was excited to see him in this and see what he did here. And he didn't disappoint in that sense. I mean, he didn't have great material to work with, but he was great as the baddie. And of course, you know, knowing that he's going to be a baddie uh, sets us up for a, a Destro effect, which we definitely had here. Um, so anyway, I'll get into the, the plot here a little bit here. So Vendetta has um, the, the main character is played by Clive Standen. Um, not sure who he is. I, I, it looks like he's done other stuff before, but um, he's this dad again, like Jesse Metcalf. He's bearded. He's grimacing. He's 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 scowling. All of that. Um, his daughter um, is a young girl who's like a softball star. She's like you know playing softball in high school, and um, he's taking her home from a softball game. Stops to pick up burritos. Leaves her in the car, and at the same time. Theo Rossi, whose um, dad, Bruce Willis, is like some major like uh, um, crime boss in the town that they live in, he um, is taking their younger, his younger brother to, I guess, commit his first murder as a way to sort of initiate himself into the gang. And the person that they kill is the daughter. Uh, so um, Clive Standen is, you know, he's 
doesn't quite witness the crime because he's in messing around with the the woman selling burritos and he's not really paying attention. So he he comes back out, you know, sees his daughter getting killed, um, or he comes out right after she's been shot, and um, so he doesn't he's not able to positively ID the killer. But then there's this really weird construct that the DA is like, oh, we're going to plea down to seven years, um, which didn't make any sense. I, I, you know, that's generally, I mean, that's like kind of this myth that we have that, you know, criminals get off all the time for crimes when uh, I talk to friends who are defense attorneys and they're like, yeah, it doesn't really work that way. Um, it, people have been put away for a lot longer with a lot less evidence than what they had on this guy here. So, um, so, so there's that piece there. But anyway, Clive Standard's character decides that, well, instead of testifying for the plea deal, He's just going to say he never even saw him. So the guy gets acquitted. So then he can kill him himself. And he does. He beats him to death with a baseball bat, which then, of course, excites Rossi and Willis because they're upset that, you know, their son and brother has been murdered. So then they go and kill Clive Standard's wife and shoot him a bunch of times. For whatever reason, they don't kill him, though. Right. It doesn't really make any sense that they they have multiple opportunities to kill him and they don't. So Clive Standard sort of um uh rehabilitates himself gets gets back in shape um he's a former iraq vet of course as well a lot of them are in these movies and he meets up with uh thomas jane who's kind of a machine gun joe type character sells him a bunch of weapons he he kind of has it in for rossi and willis as well so he's willing to help uh, clive standen do this and then clive standen goes on his 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 you know uh march to vengeance right or his vendetta as, as it is um and goes and takes out the gang to get revenge for his dead wife and dead daughter um so, yeah, again, Clive Standen, maybe even worse than Jesse Metcalf, is just a total one note as the hero. Um, it's, again, where they just don't give these guys any material. So it really is just this bearded guy, just, you know, grimacing, this bearded guy who's scowling, who's, who's you know, upset, crying sometimes. Um, versus this Theo Rossi character who is just absolutely electric, right? He... Like one of the things I love, it's like he does this, this smile, this sort of like this sinister smile that it's almost like it kind of emerges on his face. And it's, there's almost like a Joker like quality to it. Like he would be a fantastic Joker, I think, um, it, beyond like kind of these ideas that we have of what the Joker is supposed to be. I think he would he would be fantastic in it. And he's just really like just chewing up scenery all, all over the place, um, just really like bringing this sort of this real method actor approach that he has. I mean, he's someone who who fits in independent films. He's definitely a different level from what we're seeing in this movie. And, and, it, and it creates this massive Destro effect for me because I'm like, well, what, what do I care about this one note guy who's scowling all the time when I've got Theo Rossi over here who's just completely electric and just getting after it? Um, and so, so that just completely hurt the film for me because now it's like, I can't even root for this guy. I mean, at least in, in hard kill, I could kind of root for Jesse Metcalf, right? Because the partner character wasn't that great. You know, he was, he was cool, but he wasn't that cool. Um, and, and, you know, he seemed like he was kind of a jerk as well. Whereas like Theo Rossi, yeah, he's, he's, he's sinister, he's evil, but he's also like a lot of fun to watch. And knowing that he's going to lose at the end, you're just like, oh, like, you know, and, and even when he does lose, it's kind of almost like a, um, his character, like the way his smile is when he loses, it's almost like, yeah, this movie couldn't handle me. Right. Or like, you know, yes, it, it's, you know, I, 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 this is the only way I could die in this one note film. Um, so so there was that as well. I, I think that um, that part of it too, I, I think, I don't know. Yeah, it, it almost made this one tougher. Um, again, you had the same pacing issues that you have in the other ones, right? So it's just like all this stuff happens in the first half hour and you're like, 
okay, well, what are we doing for the next hour? Like, how are we going to, you know, and, and then it's like, oh, the, the main character is learning to shoot his gun again because he was, you know, or he's he's rehabbing from his, his injuries in the hospital. And, oh, you know, he's he's going to try to break out. He's going to try to get out of the hospital. And, oh, now he's getting the weapons. He's got to learn how to shoot again. And, oh, now he goes to one of the gang. And, you know, there's this whole thing where he was, like, learning to, he was, like, practicing, you know, his, his uh, unholstering his weapon or something and pointing it and saying like you know open or close meaning do you want an open casket or a closed casket you know and, and he he delivers the line one time to some guy and even that was a really bad one because it's like he beats up this really big guy in their gang like just you know he shoots him a couple times the guy's completely incapacitated and he's begging for a for an ambulance and when when by the time clive stanton's character actually finally shoots him in the head it's like he's so like the guy is so helpless that he's really the main character is really punching down, and it, it really didn't work, right? Um, you know, we think of like the Punisher as a, as a character who kills baddies, but he's usually not killing baddies in the sense that like they're they're you know begging for, or maybe they're begging for mercy, but he, you, know, you know what I mean? Like he's a lot of times he's killing people who could have killed him, right? It's not like he's incapacitated them and then he's hold, pointing a weapon at them and like you know you know, you know deciding what he's going to do or whatever, and it's like this whole thing. Um, and I think also the Punisher is unique in that sense, right? That you can pull that off with him. When you have a, a hero killing a defenseless person, there is something about it that, uh, that that doesn't doesn't work right. And I understand that there's a point where they were trying to make the film kind of be like, you know, these 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 people are two sides of the same coin, right? That the the hero is as bad as the ba- as as the bad guy or something like that. Well, if that's the case, then why not let the bad guy win, right? In, in that case, why not go completely uh, you know, uh, nihilistic and just say, yeah, the, the hero loses. He dies in the end. And Theo Rossi rides off into the sunset as this, this baddie consolidates his power. And, you know, cause Bruce Willis's character gets killed as well. Spoiler alert. Um, so, you know, I mean, why not just go there? Why not just do that? Um, so, you know, again, I think that, that, that would have been, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it at least would have been something different. Right. I mean, I, I think that's the thing with these movies. And I, I do kind of wonder like how, who, who watches these and enjoys it? Like, who says like, man, I just need as many like white guys in baseball caps and beards grimacing and, and scowling and, and, and shooting people as I can possibly get. Like, I, I just don't have enough of that in my daily life. I just need as many of those as possible. How many of these movies can I get? Um, flannel shirts make it even better. Yeah. Do they have a McMansion? Oh, fantastic. I want to see them talking to their wives at their, their, their islands with their, their beards and their, you know, they're, they're laughing about some bad joke and then kill the family off and they can grimace and, and scowl. I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know. Like it just, you know, and, and it might be again, why these movies are starting to, to sort of dip and sort of the, the, uh, the interactions that they're getting is that enough people have seen it and they're just like, yeah, I've seen this enough times before. I don't really care. Um, and, and I think that's another piece of it is that when you're, when you're making these movies, whether it's this or like even like a Seagal movie, right? I think the difference between the Seagal movies and these Bruce Willis movies is that, yeah, Bruce Willis is all over the cover um, and, and the other person generally isn't, whether it's Byron Mann or um, uh, who else am I thinking of? Uh, Brent Foster, um, you know, somebody like that. Maybe they're not on the cover, right? Seagal's on the cover. And maybe that character is doing the heavy lifting. But at least we see Seagal enough. I think, you know, that sniper special ops one that he did with um, Fred Olin Ray might be one exception, right? Where it's mostly, um, yeah, Tim Abel in that film. And Seagal spends the entire film sitting, right, in the chair. But usually you get enough Seagal here and there. Um, even if it's bad Seagal, it's, it's sprinkled in enough that we know that Seagal is the lead of the film. 
Whereas with these, Bruce Willis isn't even the lead of the movie. It's not even like they're trying to pretend that Bruce Willis is the lead and we're just going to sprinkle in these other characters and, and make you not realize that they're doing all the work. Right? Bruce Willis is always a tangential character in these. He's not the hero. He's not the main character. And I think if that's the mindset that, okay, Bruce Willis is just going to be this guy who's in, in this film, he's the crime lot boss and he's mostly sitting behind a desk, except for when he goes with Theo Rossi to kill um, uh, Clive Standard's wife. When you're watching that, it's like, okay, well, so if Bruce Willis isn't going to be my hero, who is? Okay, so if it's going to be Clive Standen, like, what can we do to make him charismatic, make him fun to follow? You know, uh, Thomas Jane's character was more fun as the um, the Machine Gun Joe kind of character. He was a lot of fun. Um, for some reason, we had Mike Tyson in this. Made made no sense, but we just we have Mike Tyson, and I didn't. Re- it looks like they used makeup to cover up his his face tattoo, unless he got rid of that at some point. Um, I didn't notice the face tattoo, but he's kind of there, and like they set up this big thing at the end where Theo Rossi and his gang. Couple guys in his gang are chasing Clive Standen and my, uh, Thomas Jane, and you know uh, Mike Tyson's character runs a chop shop, and he's got a whole bunch of people working there. And they make it sound like, oh, we're gonna run to Mike Tyson's place, and that's when all the big guns are gonna come out, and they're gonna take down Rossi and, and everybody. They kind of don't. It's Rossi's able to take them all out when he when they break through the the doors and get in there. Um, so it was kind of like, oh, they don't really turn the tide or anything. They didn't really help out or, or, you know, there wasn't any, I mean, Mike Tyson gets killed off pretty easily by, by Theo Rossi's character, if I remember right. So, and it was just kind of a waste. It was, you know, why, why is that happening there? Um, but I think with the hero, I mean, Clive Standen, for example, um, you know, he's originally from, from the UK, um, you know, maybe have him use his, his, his natural accent, be, you know, make, make him a little bit more interesting in that sense. Um, I, I have to assume if he's been acting for a long time that he has a lot of natural charisma and it's probably a lot of fun to be around. Okay, make his character someone who's fun to be around. Make him not some kind of one note. You know, I mean, how many times do we hear these characters in these movies who like they've got kids like, you know, oh, oh, you're, you know, your mother makes a decision on that. <laughs> I'm the dad. I don't make any decisions. It's like, whatever. You know, like, I don't care about that. Like, I don't know. It's, it feels like you could do a little bit more with these than they're doing. And and I think you'd even that would even mitigate the padding some. If the hero was somebody that we, we cared about and wanted to see, the padding wouldn't be so uh, obnoxious or egregious that, that we're seeing in there. So I don't know. It, it, it's just kind of my, my thought there. The other thing about Vendetta, I think, beyond um, the other, th- you know, as, as far as these movies go, this one I don't think even would have worked as an episode of a, uh, a syndicated TV show. Um, I think the other two definitely would have been episodes of a syndicated TV show. And again, I think if you put those with some of the other Willis ones and make those into syndicated TV show episodes, you'd actually have a pretty good season of a syndicated TV show. And I don't know how many times I can say syndicated TV show in, in, a, in a sentence, but anyway. Um, but no, this one doesn't even work in that capacity. I, I don't think you you could have even made it made that happen there. Um, it's just, I don't know. It, it For a concept, it just was so kind of all over the place and kind of thrown together. And granted, a lot of these are thrown together. I think, again, when you've got someone like Theo Rossi, who's just so fantastic, I don't even know how he found his way into this movie. I don't know if he owed somebody a favor. I don't know if they, they offered him a lot of money. Um, I don't know, because I know with the, the Emmett Furla um, productions, I know that they get a lot of big names, like, like uh, you know, De Niro, uh, Pacino, um, you know, beyond just Bruce Willis, you know, um, Cusack, people like that. Um, they get, you know, obviously, they got Jamie King uh, in the last film. So maybe that's part of how they can get a Theo Rossi is that, you know, maybe they, they pay him a lot of money. Maybe they it's like, hey, you're, you're already doing a movie down here. Why don't you come hang out with us for a little bit and make this movie for, 
you know, in, in a matter of a, a, a few weeks or something like that. Maybe he had he thought the character was a lot of fun because he did seem to be having fun playing this bad character. I think it, you know, almost like you want to wonder if the movie leans into that a bit, you know. And you know, I mean, I mean, I remember growing up reading the, the was it the Chocolate Wars? I think it was the book where the this character is like his mom dies. I think this is the mom that passed in him, right? When he's he's going to his school and he's supposed to he he's told by this like bully who runs the school that he he everybody's supposed to be selling chocolates, but he tells the bully tells him he, he can't sell chocolates. And then he tells him now it is now, now you're, you're allowed to sell chocolates and he still doesn't sell the chocolates. Right. And he's sort of like trying to disrupt the universe. But what's interesting, right. Is you have this kind of this bully, this main baddie character who wins in the end. And I remember when I read that, I was like, oh, I don't like that. I don't like that the baddie wins in the end. I, I want to see the baddie lose. Right. But in a movie like this, maybe if you're going to go nihilistic, maybe that's the thing. Cause I think that's what happened with a lot of those. The, 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 I can't remember the name of the author who wrote that book, but he would be a little bit more nihilistic. Like the, the baddies would win in his, at the end. It was, it was, wasn't like there was some sort of like resolution um, where anybody got their comeuppance. And, and I wonder if that might've been the way to go with this, but I mean, it's still, I don't know that it would have mitigated the padding. It would have mitigated the pacing uh, that we issues that we had. That was like, you know, I mean, the movie felt like it was over after the first half hour. It, it just, you know, didn't make any sense that it was just sort of like dragging on um, with, with all of this. And so, yeah, I don't know. Um, this one, this one, I think if you're a Theo Rossi fan, like I am, I think you might enjoy this one just for that fact. And it is on Hulu. So uh, it, it, you can check it out. But I mean, again, I think we're talking about a 90 minute movie that felt definitely longer. Um, another 96, seems like 96 minutes is the number for them. Um, they like 96 minutes. Uh, Hard Kill was 98 minutes. So, okay, so that was a little bit further. They they like to get in that wheel. I don't know if you ever heard of um, Wesley Willis. Um, you do these songs like Birdman Kick My Ass or something like that. And I guess he had heard that a single should be like three minutes and 20 seconds or something like that. And so whenever he would record his songs, he would make sure they were all in that number. So I don't know if maybe that's what Emmett Furler, are, they're, they're doing as well. Like, you know, oh, you know, we get it. Uh, yeah. Oh, 96 minutes. Okay. That's perfect. You know, a hundred minutes. There are some that do get into that 105 minute range. And I, I stayed away from those for this uh, because I, you know, I, I knew 90 minutes was probably going to be my topper. Um, and, and so that was, you know, that was an issue. I, I mean, I, I want to say it was hard kill, not this one, but hard kill that actually this one, the other thing about this one, this one ended right in the 96 minute market. This didn't have a lot of credits to it. Um, Whereas like um, uh, Hard Kill, which you saw was 98 minutes, that had a good chunk of like five minutes worth of credit padding. Um, so that's always like a different level of padding, right? Um, and credit padding is like a little bit better, right? It's a little bit nicer than, um, than you know, within the film padding, right? Because it's like, if I got to sit through people talking about, you know, crap that I don't want to hear about, uh, that's going to really hurt my sensibilities. Whereas credit padding right it's like oh wow i'm out of this already like i'm done it's almost like a you know you're you're, you're told when you're you're waiting um on the phone right and they're like oh estimated wait time 30 minutes but then somebody gets to you at 25 minutes it's like hey okay that's not bad um you know that's kind of credit padding is almost like a nice thing um so i, I kind of appreciated that with uh with um hard kill but yeah this didn't have any of that this was like a firm 96 minutes and yeah i i think this one, you know, this is the most recent of the ones that I, I watched, um, but it was also the it was the first one that I watched because I was really excited to see what Theo Rossi was going to do in it. And it was the first one. It was the one that told me I was going to be in for it if I was going to really try to do this. Uh, and, and sure enough, yeah, I mean, uh, Out of Death and Hard Kill were, were equal slogs um, to this one. 
Um, this one, at least it, it had different locations. Um, so it wasn't like stuck in, it wasn't like one location slog. Um, so that was a little bit nicer that we got to go to different places, but it wasn't like we were going that many different places. Uh, I mean, it, it's still, you know, it still had a McMansion, which you got to have McMansions nowadays, I guess. Um, that's another piece. Um, it had a strip club. You got to have strip clubs in these movies um, and, and a chop shop and a, a cheap motel. So it's not like it was really going that many different places, but at least it was more than one location. Whereas these, the other two, it was like, we're just going to set it here and just plop the movie down here and, and you have at it. Um, all right. So maybe kind of just to wrap up sort of the overall thoughts on this. Um, I definitely think just the trend that I'm seeing on IMDb again is that, that they, they've sort of hit the law of diminishing returns. And I'm trying to see like how many Willis films we've got coming out here. I think it's, it's going to be a good amount, I think. Um, yeah. I mean, I'm looking at 2021. Um, you know, I see like, I mean, it looks like he has 10 movies. Um, you know, he's, he's doing them quite, you know, quite a huge chunk of, of films here. And, and one of the things too, is I think there's this idea of like, well, you know, Eric Roberts does that, right? Eric Roberts does tons of movies and he's in them, but there's something about these ones that feel a little bit different where there's a sense that Willis's character is supposed to be a bigger deal in the film than he is. And, and I think that makes it a little bit more, I don't know if sinister is the right word. Cynical is probably the better word, right? That, at least with, with Eric Roberts, we know that he's only going to be in the film for a couple scenes. It's like, okay, what is he doing? He's just sitting in the back of a van. Okay, that's fine. Or he's just sitting behind a desk talking on the phone. Okay, that, that's fine. That's, that's Eric Roberts. Whereas with these ones, you almost feel like you're supposed to get more from the Willis because of the way that they're sold to us. And to find out that that's not the case. And in some cases, at least with Eric Roberts, like you're getting Eric Roberts, right? In some cases, we're not even getting Bruce Willis, right? We're getting uh, a fake shemp that, that's, that's sort of... Uh, playing that part so you know i think that that's the other piece of it and i think it'll be interesting to see sort of what happens now that as he finally starts to step away um it looks like he's kind of got out as many as he can and i don't know that he's doing uh any more at this point and so then it's a matter of like you know what do we do with these movies i think for me uh, as you know someone who does direct to video films I'm probably going to stay away from a lot of them. Um, I'll probably review these three at least because it's all about, you know, getting lemonade out of lemons. And so it's like, I put myself through that. Um, I'd like to get more than even just the, the podcast out of it. Um, but I mean, you know, again, the fact that you're seeing fewer critic reviews for some of these, I think it's, it's, is a huge sign that, that it's something where, um, you know, fewer people are, are, are bothering with it. And I think that's, you know, a sign that, you know, we're all kind of getting there. And I think that's kind of what happened, right, with Steven Seagal as well, is that it hit that law, uh, law of diminishing returns. I think um, uh, Benjamin Sachs, who was on, you know, kind of getting back to a, I Must Break This podcast, um, you know, he was on I Must Break This podcast, and he talked about, you know, Seagal would come to him sometimes three times a year saying, like, hey, you know, I, I need another movie. I need something else. And, you know, Benjamin Sachs was able to see it. Like, he could see it happening. Like, no, no, we're saturating the market. Like, we can't expect to get this much money from another Seagal movie if we put three out in the same year. Um, whereas almost like, I guess, the Emmett Furla production model is their mindset is, let's just pump out as many of these as we can, um, get as many other names as we can around Willis, and, and just see what happens. Yeah, I don't know. I think that, they again, they've hit that point where maybe it's not... Um, you know, people have had it. People are, are no longer, um, that people aren't are, are buying it anymore. And they're moving on to other things. The other thing too, that I think is interesting to note is that a lot of classics or a lot of films from the 
the 80s and 90s, where if we always think of the mid-80s to the mid-90s as really the golden age of direct-to-video action. And a lot of companies like Vinegar Syndrome, Arrow, um, you know, uh, Severin, they're putting out these films on DVD now or even Blu-ray. And I think a lot of people who, who watch these kinds of movies like me, they're more turning to that. Like, oh, you know what? Why do I want to watch this Bruce Willis movie when I don't know what I'm going to get when I could just watch Strike Commando again and watch it on a Blu-ray and maybe check out some of the added features and things like that? And and I think that could be something that also sort of turns this a bit. Um, it'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see, like, for example, with Dolph. Dolph has got more, more output coming. You know, Scott Adkins still does five movies a year, but his five tend to have him in them more. Um, but even with his, right, you think of Scott Adkins, like how many of his movies lately are he has a child that's kidnapped and he's forced into doing stuff he doesn't want to do. Right. So, you know, I, I think it, it's going to be interesting to see sort of where, where this goes from here. But I think, I think even knowing that Bruce Willis was doing these because he was trying to, you know, if, if that was the idea was that he was trying to make them before he uh, couldn't make movies anymore. He was trying to get as many in as he could. Even if that's the idea, I think for people watching them, they just can't, they they can't manage it right it's just it's too much um he they they probably oversaturated the market at this point and you know and i, I think for me you know I'll, I'll probably review these few but i'm not really going to feel an impetus to, to to cover the rest of these you know unless there's a name in them with them um but even in those cases i don't really see people in these movies with him that are ones that we would want on on the site right it's not like he's doing these with Dolph or with even like a Don the Dragon Wilson or a Cynthia Rothrock, um, he's doing them with people like Jesse Metcalf, right? And there's there's not really a lot of cry on the site for, you know, hey, we, you're not doing enough Jesse Metcalf on your site or you're not doing enough Clive Standin. Um, also, people aren't saying you're not doing enough Theo Rossi, which I hope that will start to come, right? <laughs> you know, I'm huge Theo Rossi fan. But, you know, there's not a lot of people clamoring for these movies. Um, and, you know, I think that's probably something for me too. I mean, I don't know, you know, we'll see like when I start reviewing these, if they get the kind of, you know, the, the kind of love that maybe a, a Dolph movie would get, or, you know, even something like uh, Killing American Style that I posted a couple weeks ago, um, you know, Amir Sharvin. And, and that's another thing too, is it's like, okay, you've seen Samurai Cop, you're on Tubi, and it's like, you've got these Bruce Willis movies, but then you've also got these movies that uh, Amir Sharvan did. Maybe, you know, you're more interested to check that out. I want to see another thing like, like Samurai Cop because I just watched the last Bruce Willis movie and it didn't do anything for me. So why do I want to put myself through that again? So yeah, I, I think there's sort of that, that tipping point that we've hit, that the wave is crested on that. Uh, and yeah, I think it'll be kind of interesting. It'll be interesting to see kind of the, how the legacy goes with this because I think also as the wave of these direct-to-video movies crests and recedes, people will start to come back to, to Willis's previous career and I think that's ultimately what he'll be remembered for is the stuff that he did in the 80s, 90s, and even into the 2000s. You know, a lot of the classics, you know, I mean, I think if you watch TNT um, in the, the late 90s, early 2000s with the whole new classics thing, you were watching a lot of Bruce Willis movies, right? A lot of his movies were on in that time. Uh, he did a lot of films that, that really kind of stand up. Um, and I think that's ultimately what he'll be remembered for, not these movies and these roles here. I, I think eventually these will kind of recede into into history. Who knows? Maybe in 30 years, when you know, who knows what what streaming is going to look like then? What all that's going to and maybe maybe kids will rediscover these and get a kick out of them or something. Um, you know, I don't know. Uh, but I, I think now that he's he's kind of taking a break from from making movies, 
I think it would probably be good for all of us to have a break, right? From all, from the sort of the low budget, you know, Emmett Furla produced Willis inundation that we were getting for so long. All right, so I think maybe it's time to wrap this up. I've got a, I was able to get an hour's worth of, of chatting in about these three films. Um, so good thing probably I didn't put myself through a fourth one because I didn't need the fourth one to get get an hour's worth of material out. Um, so again, um, just some plugs here. Usually, right, I let my guests do the plugs, but because there's no guests here, I'll just kind of do the plugs myself. Um, you know, uh, the the site dtvconnoisseur.blogspot.com. Um, that's where you can find uh, sort of all the links to everything there. So social media, I think Twitter and Facebook are good ones. I don't use Instagram as much, but definitely Twitter and Facebook. Um, Twitter is DTV Connoisseur, and then Facebook is Facebook slash Direct to Video Connoisseur. Um, those are places where generally, like whenever I post a blog post, I will put the links there. Whenever I post the the um, a new podcast episode, those those will go up. Um, in terms of the podcast itself, right now, um, I know for sure iTunes and Spotify. Um, it should be on Spotify because I'm I'm going to be on on Anchor, so it definitely should be there. Um, and then I know you know I'm I'm pretty sure uh, iTunes is still there. Supposedly, I'm supposed to get onto more places um, with through. Um, through, through Anchor. So I'm hoping like Google, I'm hoping Amazon, um, iHeartRadio. So I, I don't know if I'll get to the point where I can say all your major podcatchers, but I, I'm hoping that we, we get there. Um, I think the easiest one is just to subscribe on iTunes. But if you listen through other other channels, um, I'm hoping that we're going to be on more places than we were before. Um, but of course, you can always reach out and let me know like, hey, I usually listen to my podcasts on this, you know, could you put it there? And so, um, you know, Considering what our audience is, um, it's not like we have a, a, a small audience. We, you know, we have a, a you know a good, solid audience of people. But you'll probably be a high percentage of the audience if you request to be on a different um, on a different service. So I'll, I'll be happy to help you out with that. Um, yeah, and then um, like I said, we've got um, guests lined up for the next couple episodes. So um, who knows? The next time it will be a solo one like this. Um, I'm always happy too to hear feedback, what people think. Um, you know, if people would rather I skip a week than do a than, than do a solo episode like this, I, I'm you know I'm kind of happy to take that feedback. My mindset, of course, was I didn't want to lose a week's worth, or I didn't want to lose momentum and have people you know expecting to have a podcast drop that, that doesn't happen. So so there's that. Finally, of course, the novels, um, Chad and Accounting and A Girl and a Gun, those are available on Amazon. Um, also links to those on the site. Um, if you're interested in buying them, um, I, I would be plenty happy if you wanted to. Hoping to have the third novel, uh, Holtman Arms, out soon, um, hopefully by end of October. So you can look for that as well. Uh, you know, you can buy the books on Kindle. You don't need to have a Kindle device. You can just get the app on your phone. It's about five bucks to, to do it on Kindle or, of course, paperback. Uh, paperback is like 13 um, plus shipping. I think there's, there's some shipping involved there as well. Um, but you know, either way, um, I'm always happy for the support and people that want to buy the books and read them. Um, and yeah, hopefully we'll get that next one out as well. But, uh, you know, it, it's a great way to support the, the site. Um, if you, if you're interested in thinking about that kind of thing, of course, I love any kind of support that we get from the site, whether it's retweeting, reblogging, um, I, I don't, not on Tumblr anymore, so I guess you don't reblog, but retweeting, um, you know, sharing or, or, or liking on, on Facebook, all of that kind of thing. I, I'm always appreciative of any of that. And um, yeah, and of course, any feedback that you have. Um, hey, you know, check out this movie. Or I'd like to do a, uh, you know, hear a podcast on this one or, you know, that, that kind of thing. All right. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Bye, everyone.